Father, we come to your word now and we pray that you'd meet us in this time. We thank you that we've gotten to sing your praises and it's sweet to our souls to declare your worth and your goodness, your power and your might. So we pray that you give us power now through your Holy Spirit to comprehend and understand and drink deeply from your word so that it might plant itself in our hearts and in our minds and produce a harvest in us, a harvest of righteousness and of faith and that it would chase away fear. And I pray, Lord Jesus, that you'd help me uh, now to speak the truth of your word in a way that is helpful and instructive. Holy Spirit, would you be our teacher this morning? We thank you for gathering us in our homes now, but also together so that we might worship you and learn from you. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, we're continuing church family in our series on fear this week. And so we're gonna look at three more weapons that we have to fight against fear. So if you have your Bible, turn with me to Philippians chapter four. And we're gonna look, two of our weapons that we're gonna find are gonna be in that passage today, Philippians chapter four. And then we're gonna look at one in Mark chapter four. So if you wanna find that and kind of mark it with your hand. And if you're new to the scriptures and new with us, we're just so glad that you're with us and you'll find the uh, words on the screen there for you as we look through the scriptures. And as you're turning, let me tell you a story I've been thinking about I've been doing this series on fear. Think about when is the time that I have been most afraid? In fact, in your life groups this week, we're gonna ask you to ask and answer that question together. When is the time that you can remember being most afraid? Let me tell you my answer to that question. When I was 21, my family went to Hilton Head for a family vacation. It might've been one of the last family vacations that we ever had together, sort of before my sister and I were out of the house. Uh, and so we had gone to Hilton Head. We had a buddy whose grandparents owned a, had a boat on the island. And so he met us there and took us out on his boat. And we were just going around the island. I think it's about 12 miles long. So we were just doing kind of a, a trek around the island. Somewhere about halfway through, uh, it was a beautiful sunshiny day. Uh, the ocean was really calm. We saw the school of dolphins really near to the boat. So we stopped the boat and we got out and we were swimming around, just really enjoying the day. But then when we went to restart the boat, it wouldn't start. And so we spent the better part of an hour and a half trying to restart the boat. Couldn't get it started. And then we found out the radio was broken. So we had no ability to call anybody on shore to radio for help. And so after maybe another good half hour of that, so maybe two hours in now, um, I determined that the best idea is for me to swim into shore. That that's essentially the only way we're gonna get help. We're kind of stranded out there. Nobody's passing by. And so I decide I'll swim in. It's about three quarters of a mile, which a little spoiler alert, that's a lot further than you think it is in the ocean. When you start in, the shore just looks like it's five minutes away. It is not. And so I jump in when well, my mom decides that she's not gonna let me swim alone. And so she's like, no, I'm, I'm swimming with you. And now I'm thinking, well, okay, now I gotta be concerned about you, mom, as well as myself. And okay, fine. So we jump in, we start swimming together. And again, it's as calm an ocean as you've ever seen. It's super uh, beautiful outside. So we start swimming. Now here's the thing. There's only two life jackets on the boat because we didn't do a good job of checking the life jacket jackets beforehand. And so we have one, which is good. It's the full vest, it's the zip up. We give that to mom. And this is a representation of the life jacket that I got. I had this number right here. So you can imagine now I'm swimming. This is not the best tool or vehicle for uh, the work at hand of swimming in the ocean. So here's what happens next. We get about halfway and it felt like it was the exact halfway point between the shore and the boat. And all of a sudden in what felt like about 30 seconds, a storm rolled in. The skies got pitch black. I mean, they were dark. 
clouds are rolling in, starts to rain and the wind picks up. And so now the waves start to pick up and the waves are literally coming in over our heads and we're getting significantly scared. We can't see the boat anymore behind us because the waves are big enough that it's blocking out the boat. So now I'm afraid for my mom's life. I'm afraid for my own life. I'm thinking, oh my goodness. So we, we continue to swim and I'm like, I'm never going to be more than an arm's length away from mom. Like I'm gonna be right there next to her. And I would take two strokes and turn and check, two strokes and turn and check right there with her. And the whole time I'm thinking to myself, this thing is not going to help me. Like I'm kind of on my own here uh, in terms of what I have available to me. So we swim for the better part of another 45 minutes or so uh, in those kind of turbulent waters. And we finally make it in. And as we're dragging ourselves out of the surf, uh, a lifeguard who had been indoors in sort of this um, building, but could see us coming in, came running out and just asking, where are you coming from and what are you doing? So we explained the situation and he got us some help. They, they sent someone out to, to uh, help with the boat and got it towed and the whole deal. So we were fine. But here's, here's what I remember in that moment. I remember thinking, I am so afraid right now. And a big part of my fear is that I didn't feel like I had what I needed to be able to not be afraid in that moment. In fact, the normal, the normal human response, I think for most folks in that situation would be fear. And a large part of that fear is feeling like uh, the, the tools we have at our disposal are not actually the tools that we need to be able to deal with the circumstances around us. The wind and the waves are bigger than the thing that we have to face them with. So I was thinking about that and the fear that I felt in that moment. Because as we look at these 19 weapons over the course of the, the weeks of this series, the seven weeks that we're talking about how to fight against fear, I just wanna remind you that what you have is in these weapons that the scriptures offer us is not sort of a dinky little life jacket. What you have is something much greater and much bigger and much more capable of helping you and I deal with the wind and the ways of our circumstances that, that cause fear in our natural hearts. Uh, but when we see what the Lord offers us and take advantage of them, I just, wanna, I just wanna encourage you that each one of these is not an insufficient weapon, but it's a greatly sufficient weapon. So here's the ones we've talked about so far. Let's do a little bit of review, a recap of the weapons we've looked at so far. So the first one we looked at is, is God's love. The knowledge that God loves me is part of how I fight fear, remembering that. I fight fear by fearing God himself rather than other things, other people or other circumstances. I fight fear by worshiping God, by declaring his worth and his praises. I fight fear by regularly thinking about the cross, by growing in holiness, by growing in humility, and by understanding that my fear, my anxiety doesn't actually accomplish anything useful. So those are the weapons the Bible has given us so far that we've looked at. We're gonna look at three more today. And here's, here they are. They are praying, which is probably one that is most commonly thought about when we talk about weapons against fear. But I wanna, I wanna dig down into that with you today to see if I can't help you understand how to pray in the face of fear, how the Bible instructs us to pray in the face of fear. So praying, reminding ourselves about the power of Jesus and asking mature believers to speak into our lives. So those are the three weapons we wanna to learn to take up today. The same again, praying, reminding ourselves about the power of Jesus and asking mature believers to speak into our lives, to have an influence, a shaping influence on us. Let me say, if you are new with us or perhaps new to church or just coming back to church for the first time in a long time, recognize that in this season, you might be coming back because the turbulence of our current circumstances are causing you to recognize 
Here's the way I might say it. They might be causing you to recognize a hunger that you have that you didn't realize you had. Uh, maybe we could say a need for God that you have. You perhaps maybe for a season weren't recognizing that you had and these circumstances are causing you to see that. We're so glad you're joining us today. And here's our hope. Hope is as we talk about these weapons to fight against fear, that you would, along with all of us, know that we're not really aiming these weapons at fear just because fear is tough to deal with. And so it's, it's primarily about me not having to be afraid. We're aiming these weapons at fear because fear is the enemy of, of faith that glorifies God. When our hearts are filled with faith in who God is and what he's done for us in Christ Jesus, not only does that improve our lives and cause us to flourish and thrive, that is certainly true. But more than that, it glorifies him when we're full of faith rather than fear. And our ambition here is to take hold of these weapons so that we might trust God and walk with him and be full of faith. And our hope is that you would find if you're examining faith and uh, perhaps skeptical or just uncertain or questioning that, that you would uh, connect with us. We hope that you won't just sort of take in these sermons, although you're welcome to. We're, we're glad you're doing that. But we wanna invite you to, to connect with us. So through the website, do hit that connect button and just take the opportunity. We'd love to help you process the questions that you are processing. That's what this church family is here for. All right, so let's look at those three weapons. The first one we said is praying. So I, I had you go to Philippians chapter four. So let's look at that text together. Two verses, verses six and seven, let's read them together. They say this, say, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So this text gives us this great promise about what prayer does when we, when we exercise it, when we take advantage of this weapon. When we pray, the peace of God, which passes all understanding, guards our hearts and minds. So let's examine here a little bit about the lessons that we have that are given to us, what this text teaches us about prayer. So here's the first lesson this text says to us, and we're just gonna take it sort of uh, phrase by phrase here through this verse, right? So beginning at the beginning of verse six, the first thing that we see is that there are no fears on which prayer doesn't work. So did you notice when it says this in verse six, don't be anxious or do not be anxious about anything. In other words, uh, the way that phrase is written is it's, it's what's called a present imperative, which means it's a, it's a command in the present tense. But right before that, the words when it says, where it says do not, is the assumption is that they, the Philippians have been afraid and Paul is saying to them, so stop being afraid. It's not don't ever, don't ever be afraid at the beginning. He's saying now that fear that you feel, we want, you to, we want to put that to rest. So when he says, don't be anxious, and then he says about anything, but in everything by prayer. And then he goes on. So the, the first thing that, that Paul wants us to see there is that prayer is a weapon uh, against all sorts of fear, right? There are no fears against which prayer doesn't work. Some, someone has said it this way, the way to stop being anxious about anything is to start praying about everything. And so maybe you can think about it this way. Prayer is essentially the Swiss army knife of all the weapons that we're gonna be looking at over this time. There is no fear against which prayer is not effective. So you're never gonna encounter a circumstance. You're never gonna come up against a, a situation where praying is not a weapon that you wanna utilize, right? There may be some of the other ones that we look at that are more specific to certain types of fear, but this weapon is for every type of fear, prayer. So then that's the first lesson. The next thing we see about prayer here in this text is that there are two ways that we're instructed to pray. And it's super simple, y'all. 
The first is to, is to make our requests known to God, to tell him what we need in the circumstances we're facing. And the second is to give thanks to him. Now let's, let's look at both of those things. The first thing that we see there in the second half of verse six, when it says this, after saying, don't be anxious about anything, but in everything. And then we get three repetitions of essentially the same idea, three different words for the same thing. It says, in everything by prayer, and supplication, and then it goes with thanksgiving, let your requests, so there's the third repetition of, the, of three different words that essentially are talking about the same exact act. All of them are there inviting us to tell God what we need. Now, one, that's a gracious gift on God's part to begin with, to say, you, you tell me what you need. Remember in Matthew chapter six, that Jesus actually said when he was talking about your heavenly father knows that you need uh, food. He knows that you need clothing. He's not, and so he says, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. He's giving us a prioritization there of what our concerns should be first and secondarily. But when he says, look, your heavenly father knows that you have these needs. He's not actually saying, well, don't then tell him about them. He's just saying, look, he knows they're there. So when we pray, we're not making God aware of something that he's not already aware of. And yet he instructs us to come to him with those needs because it does something in our hearts when we do that. Here's what I think is taking place. If I can, I'm gonna presume, you may not have been with us last week, but if you were, you remember in 1 Peter, we saw Peter say, cast your anxieties on the Lord because he cares for you. And I think this is exactly what this type of prayer of bringing our request to the Lord is, is a demonstration of that casting our anxieties on the Lord. That when we bring them to him, in spite of the fact that he already knows what they are, in fact, knows them better than we know them. He knows what we need better than we know what we need. But when we bring those requests and we lay them before him, we are essentially unloading our anxieties and our burdens before him. So the first way that we're instructed to pray there is, and almost really begged to do that. The repetition of those three words, prayer, supplication, and requests in this verse, all mean essentially the same thing. It's not listening to God in prayer. It's not waiting on God in prayer. It is, it is three different words for the same idea of coming to God and saying, I need this and telling him about that in prayer. So I wanna encourage you. That's the first thing that we're encouraged to do here. The second is right in the middle there after he says with prayer and supplication or by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. So he interrupts the verse right there in the middle. He could just say by prayer and supplication, make your requests known to God and the peace of God. He, he could do that. That's not what he does. He says, by prayer and supplication and then interrupts that flow of thought to say with thanksgiving. In other words, it's so important that you have a thankful heart as you pray and that you learn to give God thanks as you pray that I'm gonna interrupt this flow of words to insert it right in the middle to get your attention. So as you go to pray now, follower of Jesus, as you go to pray, Remember to give thanks. And when Paul talks about giving thanks, now if, if we were, if we had time, we could do a survey of all the times Paul in his letters, and he's the one writing this letter to the Philippians. If we had time, we could go through all of his examples of when he says to give thanks. And the, the majority of those, when he talks about giving thanks, always return to the cross. He returns to the cross more than any other thing. To be sure, he says to give thanks for other things, for daily bread, for blessings, for, for um, sort of other things that God does in our life to be sure. But above all those things, he re mo most regularly, I should say, says to us, give thanks for the cross. Remember what God has done for you in sending a son to die so that your sins can be forgiven because payment has been made. 
so that you could then be reconciled to God and have a relationship with him so that you could be given the gift of the righteousness of Christ that could be imparted to you, imputed to you, put in you. So that you're a new thing, a new creation, not an old. Here's the importance of that and why I would take a few minutes to kind of point that out. Because you may find yourself in a circumstance where you have a really hard time finding anything to be thankful for. I'm sure a lot of us have been there. Now, we could, we could argue there, I think, church family, we could argue there that there's always gonna be something to give thanks for if we have eyes to see it. But let's just say that perhaps we found ourselves in such a difficult circumstance, in such repetitively difficult um, conditions that we just cannot fathom what we could possibly give thanks for in, in our daily life going on at that moment. The cross never goes away. The cross is the great historical moment of God's redemptive work that regardless of what is taking place in your life today, tomorrow, yesterday, at any point is always there. And so I think that's why Paul is more often than not saying, with thanksgiving, go to God with thanksgiving. And first that is for the cross of Jesus and the redemptive work done in it. So let's learn in prayer to regularly be thanking God for that. I mean, how often, how often do we go to God in prayer and fail to remember to say thank you? for his ultimate work. We're, we're quick to move into other things. And by the way, I'll say this too. I find when I have these conversations, see if this is true for you. And, and I'll admit that it's true for me far too often that when I'm in anxious moments, that is the moment when I'm fearful that I should pray more. And quite often I actually pray less. I mean, do you find that to be true? Because we get so busy trying to take control of our circumstances or work hard to move our way through them that we imagine that, that almost, I think we think of prayer as, as kind of, um, I wonder if we think about it as if we're spinning our wheels a bit and not getting traction, not moving forward in what we need to get out of these fearful circumstances. And friends, this text is a corrective for me and it's a corrective for you. It's saying to us, prayer is your great weapon in the face of anxiety and fear. And so he's encouraging us in these two ways. Tell God what you need and give thanks. Don't make it more complicated than that. Let's be simple about it. Tell God what you need and give him thanks, first for the cross, but also for the many blessings that he's done. Uh, my daughter, Emerson, my middle daughter, uh, in fact, she's here watching me record this right now. Uh, she has taught us a lot in our family about prayer. When we started teaching our kids about prayer, the first thing that we did was we started teaching them about giving God thanks. And so we would regularly at bedtime or uh, over a meal or just during the day at some point, we would, we would talk about, let's, let's tell God thank you for the things he's put in our life. And so we would say, thank you, God, for our family. And thank you for providing food for us. And thank you for our home. Thank you for our friends, our neighbors. So we were learning just to be thankful in prayer. And then we sort of added onto that. Now let's begin to intercede. Let's begin to pray for people that we know have needs. Let's pray for friends and neighbors and people uh, who we love that don't know the Lord, that we want to trust. We want to see them trust in Christ. And we hope God would give us opportunity to speak about his love with them. And so as we began to pray that, she connected those two things in a way that neither Amanda nor I taught her to do. And it was really beautiful and it was really brilliant because she started saying uh, where we had begun praying with, thank you God for this thing and for that thing and for this gift and that gift. <clears throat> she started praying when we started praying for others. Thank you God that you would heal this person who's sick. Thank you God that you would do this thing or that thing. So she was combining this beautiful heart of thankfulness, which I think was almost a, a way that the spirit was praying through her and teaching us about um, expecting God to answer our prayers. So almost saying, thank you 
that you hear us and will answer us even as we are praying now. So every, when she started doing that, Amanda and I, almost, we were just taken aback for a moment. We just, we just thought that's really brilliant and really beautiful. And so uh, my daughter has taught me about how to pray, both with thankfulness and expectation that God hears us and is responding and bringing our needs to him. So maybe you can learn as well from that. So uh, the last thing that we see about prayer in this text that I wanna make sure I point out is that the peace that we get from praying comes from the act of praying, not from answered prayers. Here's what I mean by that. You'll notice in the text, there's no promise that what will happen when we pray is that the needs we've stated to God will be answered in the way we anticipate them being met. There, there are certainly times where God answers our prayers, but not as we'd anticipate him. Sometimes he may say no, because he has a different idea of what we actually need and he knows what's best for us. We all know that. We've all experienced that. We experience that as parents or with our parents, if we're not yet parents. When that happens, we know that there are times where the answer to our requests is no. And so here's the good news about this. It doesn't say you'll get peace when you pray for the right thing. And then God answers that and up the peace will come. The peace is not connected to answered prayer. The peace is connected to simply praying. So that when he says, make your prayers and supplications known to God, bring them to God with thanksgiving, right? And uh, make your requests known. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Now that phrase, guard your hearts and minds, tells us two really important things. Number one, hearts and minds is the terminology for essentially our mind, our, so our thinking, our, our rationality, our wills, like our volitional, you know, our, our, uh, our cell, our, our, yeah, I can't think of a better word for it, our wills. And then lastly, our hearts, our emotions. It's the whole, the whole person is gonna be guarded is the idea there when Paul says, your hearts and minds will be guarded. And that word for guarded is such a rich word because what it means is actually, it's the term most often used for like a garrison of soldiers put around or assigned to a city to surround that city, to guard it from an enemy that would come and attack it. And so when Paul has that in mind, he's saying, when you pray, it's like saying the peace that God can give, which passes your ability to comprehend it. In other words, it's not saying that it's illogical, but it's saying that it surpasses logic, that it's beyond logic, that, that it's not always uh, what you would expect to feel in this circumstance, the peace of God, which surpasses that is greater in power than it, and also um, greater than your ability to comprehend it. That peace will then like a military garrison surround your heart and surround your mind so that you will be guarded in your thinking and in your emotions and in your will so that you might move forward by faith and make great decisions rather than poor decisions, right? I love that imagery and it's so powerful and so helpful. So let's close up shop on that and let's move to the next weapon then. But the last thing to note is if what we're told here is the peace of God passes understanding, then here's what you, here's what you need to know. You cannot get this peace by thinking your way into it. You can't reason your way into it, and you can't learn your way into it. You can have this peace if you pray and only if you pray. And so because it passes understanding, you're not gonna study it enough and then get it the next time and have it the next time anxiety comes. The peace of God, which surpasses your ability to comprehend how rich and deep it can be, will be yours when you pray. And it's not contingent upon the prayer being answered. It's just contingent upon the praying. 
That's a good promise from the Lord. So that's, that's weapon number one, and maybe one of our most important ones throughout this entire series. So I wanna encourage you, church family, that Swiss army knife of weapons, pray. All right, so we lingered a little bit on that one because we wanted to make sure we get it. Now, here's the second one. Flip over to Mark chapter four, and we're gonna read this story about Jesus on the water with the disciples. And we're gonna look at this. We're gonna remind ourselves. The second weapon is reminding ourselves about the power of Jesus. So uh, I was thinking about, memory and the importance of remembering, obviously, in looking at this. And I, I got to thinking about my seminary days where I had to learn Greek and Hebrew. And so you have, we would do flashcards. So we're going to do a little flashcard activity. I wrote them big, so hopefully you can see them. All right. So let's do this together. Here's our first word. So I've written in Greek, then I've written the English translation. So that, that word is kara. And you can, I'll give you a minute. You can guess what you think that means. All right. If you made your guess, here's what it means. It means joy. All right, so that's what that word means. If you have a daughter named Kara, that's what that means. You probably knew that. All right, here's your next one. Agape. Now, some people say agape. That's not how you pronounce it. It's agape. All right, so this word agape means, I'm guessing if, any, if you know any of them, this is the one you're gonna know. It means love. All right, good job. I'm presuming you're, you're guessing some of these, right? I said, good job. Chris is laughing at me now. All right, so here's the last one. The word is pistis. Pistis is how you say that word. And it means faith. All right, so tally your scores at home, see how you did. Now, here's the thing about these flashcards. I bet, put these away here, right? I bet if right now I said to you, okay, tell me the three words and tell me what they mean that a lot of you could repeat that. I bet if I found you tomorrow morning and I said to you, hey, what were the three words? I'm guessing fewer of you would remember them and remember what they mean. Now, if I found you a week from now, I'm guessing a very small percentage of you would remember what those words were and remember what they mean. But if you made yourself your own flashcards, if you wrote these words down and every day you looked at them and remembered and reminded yourself of what the words were and what they meant, I could find you a month from now, two months from now, three months from now, whenever, and you would absolutely know what those words are, right? These simple words, love and joy and faith uh, in, in this other language, right? Why would you know what they are? Because you've reminded yourself regularly. So here's the question I, I ultimately wanna ask. We're gonna look at remembering or reminding ourselves the, about the power of Jesus and why that brings about uh, peace in our hearts and why it chases out fear. And the ultimate question is gonna be this, is what are you using as your flashcards to remember that Jesus is powerful? What are you putting around your home? What are you putting in your life? Who are the people in your life reminding you so that on a regular basis, you're encountering reminders that Jesus is powerful. Let's look at a time where Jesus showed his disciples how powerful he was. And a story I like to return to again and again when trying to remember that my God, whom I worship, my Jesus is powerful. So beginning in verse 35 of Mark 4, it says this, on that day when evening had come, he said to them, let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was. And other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose and the waves were breaking into the boat so that the boat was already filled or already filling. But he was in the stern asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said to him, teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, peace, be still. And the wind ceased. And there was a great calm. He said to them, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? 
and they were filled with great fear and said to one another, who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? So here's this really beautiful and obvious demonstration of the power of Jesus. I wanna point out a couple things about this story. I don't wanna linger on it too long, but just a couple of really, I think, helpful things to remember. So number one, a number of the disciples who are in this boat are fishermen who are competent at the helm of a boat. And yet they're afraid in these circumstances. So this, is no, this can't be some small sort of piddly little storm. This is the kind of storm that men who are used to being on this body of water where it was enough to make them afraid. So it's significant. The second thing I wanna point out is that I don't think Jesus rebuke here, and, and it is a rebuke. And can I just say that sometimes it's not what we expect from Jesus. Um, when we think about, man, when I'm afraid, I, I expect Jesus to be kind and, and, uh, and patient. And he certainly is those things, but at times too, he may bring a rebuke. And let's not sort of uh, put some handcuffs on Jesus as if, well, you shouldn't, you shouldn't speak a rebuke to me when I'm afraid or anxious or fearful. That may be what we need him to speak to us. And he knows how to speak exactly what we need. So let's receive from him if what we get is a rebuke. Let's receive that rebuke knowing that it comes from a God who loves us, from a savior who loves us and not sort of uh, cut him short and say, well, you, you can only... Um, sort of speak these gracious and kind words and not a rebuke to me uh, in my lack of faith when I'm filled with fear. But that rebuke that he gives to the disciples, I think is more directly related to the fact that they ask whether he cares. They seem to have some sense that he can deliver them. They wake him up with the assumption that he can do something about the circumstances they're facing. Now, I don't know that they expect him to make the wind (laughs) and the sea absolutely stop. That seems beyond their expectation. They're not fully aware of who he is yet, but they certainly think he can do something. And so they wake him up, but the accusation is that he doesn't care. And the rebuke comes for that. Now, here's the point that I want you to get from this story. We've talked a lot in this series about how knowing God loves us helps chase away fear. But do you know what else helps when it's partner with that knowledge that he does indeed care? Again, the thing that he's rebuking them for is they don't believe he cares. In other words, the rebuke is I do, of course I care about you. Haven't I, haven't you seen that I care for you? But when we see that his care partner with his absolute sovereign power, that is a recipe for chasing fear right out of our hearts and right out of our lives. I mean, just think about what that does. When we believe that the one who loves us is also the one who created all things. And as Colossians chapter one says, all things created for, by him and for him and through him. He is the one for whom all these things exist, whatever our circumstances are. And it actually says there in Colossians 1, both things invisible and visible, right? So the idea is there's nothing, whether it's something you see or something you don't see, if it's a spiritual entity or sort of a, a philosophy, or if it's, a, if it's a, something I can touch, something physical and tangible, all of those things are created for him. and They're created by him. And when we remember that, that that's him, And he's the one who loves us. Those things together uh, are a recipe for putting fear out of our hearts. When we remind ourselves of Jesus' power, here's what happens. When we regularly have our flashcards reminding us Jesus is powerful, it it, it reminds us that that promise he's given us in Romans 8, 28, that he works all things for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. It reminds us he can keep that promise and fulfill it because we see his power. We say, okay, that promise can be good. It lets us know that what he tells us in Ephesians chapter one, verse 11 is absolutely true, that he is working all things according to the counsel of his will. 
Nothing is happening that is not according to the counsel of his will. Ephesians 1 tells us. When we get God's sovereign power locked into our brains as one of our foremost ways of thinking about him before trouble ever comes, we are prepared then to endure whatever wind and waves may come because we know that the one who loves us is also the one who is all powerful. So again, let's return to that question. What are your flashcards? What are the things that you're putting up uh, around your home and in your life so that you are regularly reminded? If you... Um, if you caught the devotional that I recorded for us on Wednesday, um, and I think, I think it showed up on Wednesday on our church page, I, I talked about being in a pretty bad car accident when I was about 14 years ago. And I got blindsided and my car got flipped over and there's glass everywhere. And, and God miraculously delivered me. I, there was not a scratch on me. I walked away from that accident, which the people who saw from a distance said they were sure someone was, had probably died in that accident. And yet God sovereignly just, just protected me. And my Bible in that uh, car accident had been sitting next to me. It had been, I was coming from church, driving home and had been sitting on the passenger seat next to me. Well, it got, it got ejected from the car in the, in the car accident, landed on the highway. Somebody found it and somehow got it back to me. And the night's a bit of a blur, but it, but it somehow got back to me. And for the better part of a year, I would, I would open my Bible to read and I would find shards of glass from my car uh, in that Bible. And then even beyond that, I would find little holes that those pieces of glass had made that maybe just kind of cut one word out of a, of a verse somewhere. And the thing is that every time I would come across one of those shards of glass, every time I would come across one of those little, um, little holes on one of the pages, you know, those Bible pages that are so fine, right? Every time I'd find one of those, what would I remember? Every time I'd remember that car accident. And I would think, you have delivered me. I'm going to have that Bible until the day I die. I'm never letting go of that Bible. Because even though it's kind of falling apart now and I've had to get a new one to preach from because I, I can't uh, keep all the pages together, that's always going to be on the shelf in our house somewhere. So every time I see it, I remember you are a God who delivers and who saves and is mighty and powerful. This is an example. My encouragement is, is to all of us, we need flashcards. We need things that remind us, help us remember and drill into our heart that our God is powerful. So remember the power of Jesus. That's weapon number two. Weapon number three, our last one and our shortest one is asking mature believers to speak into our lives. So just going back to Philippians chapter four, verse nine, here's what it says. So make my way back there. Just one verse. It says, what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. So a really simple point there. What Paul is saying is as a mature believer, I'm inviting you Philippians to remember what I've taught you and to follow my example, to put into practice the things that you've learned from me will cause peace, God's peace to be present in your life. That's essentially what he's saying there. So church family, here's, here's the really simple lesson from that is, we need mature believers, people who are more mature than us, who have walked with Jesus longer. And by the way, I say mature there, not old, uh, because age is not, is, not a is not necessarily a guarantee of maturity. Maturity comes from walking with God. And so often as we get older, we grow more, more mature because we walk with him. What a good thing that is. So here's the reality, wherever you are in your life, seek out other mature believers or more mature believers than you to speak into your life. That's a weapon against fear. And here's how that works. As you face certain circumstances, 
you'll find more mature believers who have been through those circumstances and they can speak to you about how God has delivered, how, how he could be trusted at every step along the way. And they can also just give you practical knowledge about steps you can take to walk with God in those circumstances. And it's not that just acquiring knowledge then causes us to, be, uh, to have fear chased out of our hearts as if it's sort of a self-improvement lesson. No, not at all. Rather, by acquiring that knowledge, acquiring that wisdom, we're learning to walk closely with God in the midst of difficult circumstances, in the midst of fear. And so my encouragement to his church family is this, seek out more mature believers than yourself and, and learn from them. And one of the things that I find is sometimes for um, when I talk about this, people get a little intimidated because they think they, they think they need to find the one person who can kind of answer all their spiritual questions and speak to every circumstance in their life. And that's a mistake. Can I just tell you that that's a mistake? No one can do that. But what you can do is observe here in, in our church family, there are men and women who are more mature than you are, where, whatever stage of life you're in. There are believers who are more mature than you in certain ways and in certain areas of their walk. And as you see that and admire it and, and observe it, perhaps when you recognize a need for growth in that area or you're encountering a circumstances where you just know, um, I need to learn in this, just ask them to go meet you for a cup of coffee. You know, buy them a cup of coffee and just pick their brain and ask them, could you tell me a little bit more about this? So I did, uh, there was a, I talked last week about a recognition. One of my fears is, is making foolish choices as a leader. I recognize that God has put me in a position of leadership and I need to grow as a leader in wisdom and in godliness and humility and in the servant heartedness that I might lead well. Well, in my church back in Austin, there was a man that I really admired as a leader. His name was Rich Steinle. And when I knew like, I, I, I've got to grow in this. I asked Rich, I said, Rich, for the next six months, could I take you to lunch once a, once a month? I know you're a busy guy. He was a CEO of a company in town and a really gifted and godly leader. He had plenty on his plate, but I just said, could I buy you lunch once a month? And just, I will come with questions. You don't have to prepare a thing. I just want to ask you about the kinds, the choices you make and how you grow as a leader and, and why you do certain things you do. Because as I observe you, you have been gifted by God to lead it. And I want to learn from that. So we'd meet. We, uh, we'd go to Pokey Joe's barbecue on like the first Wednesday of every month. And we did that six months in a row. And after that, you know, I, I certainly could have kept meeting with him and learning more, but really our time was done at that point. And, and I just wanted to have that time. Now, from time to time, I would still check in with him, but those six months were a huge gift. I mean, we just met six times over lunch and I got to ask him questions and pick his brain about the way he led his family, the way he led his company uh, and how he engaged those around him. Uh, in a way that was that was so obviously God honoring. So let me encourage you, seek that out in your life. Whether you're young or you're more mature in years, there are other people who have maturity in areas that you can seek out so that you might grow in them. Never stop learning from other believers who are more mature than you in certain ways and in certain places in their walk with the Lord. There's always somebody you can gain more from. One of the joys of being a church family together is learning about how to walk with the Lord in that. So, Let's close up shop then, friends. Those are our three weapons. So three more to take up so that we might do a better job of fighting against fear. So remember again, no matter how big the waves are, no matter how big they are, you have been given something much greater than a flimsy little life jacket. So take hold of those weapons that are big and robust and strong. Take hold of them. Learn to pick them up. Learn to use them so that you might be filled with faith, which glorifies God. All right, let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we love you. We pray that you take your word now, plant it in us so that we might be filled with faith. 
We thank you that you are the one who instructs us. You are the one who guides us. You are the one who loves us beyond our, our comprehension. We thank you for these promises of peace that you can give if we will come and pray. So help us to come and pray. We thank you that you are all powerful. Nothing, nothing is as strong as you are. And we thank you that you have placed us in a church family and around other believers who can speak into our lives and help us walk with you. So help us take advantage of those things now, Lord Jesus. We love you. Receive our praises as we close our time together by worshiping you. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.